Hello and welcome back to the Delaney John Rose podcast. I'm Ash Edwards. And I'm Charlie Lanieri. This podcast is brought to you by journalism students from the University of Central Lancashire. For more content, follow at UConn Live and at UConn Journalism on Twitter. Joining us this week is Len and Amy Parks, his first ever uh, physiotherapist. Yesterday it was Easter Sunday, Len, and and we know you used to be an altar boy. What are your memories of this celebration? Uh, Well, obviously, eggs, lots of them. Yeah, my mum was quite a religious sort of person, so uh, we got introduced to church quite a a young age. So, um, yeah, myself and my brother Fran, we were altar boys, but um, primarily I was altar boy because I thought that I might get sort of... um, how can I put it? Little, little gifts of things like eggs at Eastern, Pens and Christmas. So, um, yeah, but, um, my love for religion sort of uh, dwindled a few years later. So, more about the, getting the chocolate and, and all that for you, Len? Oh, without doubt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was quite believable. Um, as time went by, I sort of um, noticed and saw a few things that made me sort of question things so um no not so much anymore i'm afraid but the weekend just just gone did you have a good time with family yeah fabulous yeah we're um, now obviously i've not been out now for about four weeks and now we are now just starting to uh, learn how to um live with one another without um trying to kill one another so um yeah it's been good good weekend plus the sun's out as well has has faith has faith never never been part of your your darker days? So when you've been you've been struggling, have you never looked to looked to faith in that way? No, not at all. I mean, I've had quite a few people tell me that um, faith will help me, and uh, my mum has said that she'll pray for me. But um, nah, um, obviously the logistics of MND mean that I'm going to get worse, not better. So. Um, I don't think any amount of praying is going to help me in that respect. So, um, no, I don't really need faith. I think that I'm generally quite a good person anyway. So, um, nah, I don't need to turn to God or anything like that at all. Not my bag. Fair enough. So moving away from faith and Easter weekend, um, Amy, you used to be Len's physiotherapist. Um, and then you started working at UCLan, but quite recently that's changed for you. So, so what what are you doing now? Uh, so my job is always since you've been at UCLan, it's always been a split job. Um, and on a normal week, I work four days um, teaching and supporting the physiotherapy students. And one day a week, I work in intensive care at Royal Preston Hospital, supporting the physio team there and working with them. Um, but a few weeks ago, that took a little bit of a, a switch. Um, so at the minute, I'm working more days at the hospital and trying to keep one, maybe two days for you clan work. Um, but working at the hospital three or four days, as I've got time, really. Um, just because obviously, as a hospital, as an NHS, as a service, we're, we're having to respond to, to the crisis that we're in with the coronavirus. So that's where I'm up to currently. You're such a goody-goody, aren't you? 
<laughs> I wouldn't say that, Len. It was a very difficult decision and there was lots of reasons not to go and do that. Um, you know, I had to sort of really have quite a strong internal conversation with myself about was it the right thing to do for me and my family? But it's funny how um, you feel quite a magnetic draw, I think. And yeah, I think you can see this in a lot of the NHS staff currently. It's actually... Um, you know, the sense of duty and the sense of responsibility is, is massively increased from what it already was. Do, do you feel a sense, and this is like playing devil's advocate really, um, a little bit of sort of guilt that you have to do it or is it just because you're a nice person? For me as a as an individual, definitely not guilt. Um, I don't think that comes into it at all. I think... Um, a sense of it sounds really twee, but a sense of responsibility. You know, I'm a I'm a professional with skills, and um, I think um, particularly at the minute and this this particular virus, um, there's an awful lot of work for physiotherapists to do. So, for me not to go back and offer that time and um, to the patients and to support the team generally, it just didn't feel right at all to sort of sit at home and watch it all from a distance. I actually genuinely want to be part of it and want to make that contribution. And I think a lot of other people feel like that as well, actually. I've got to say that obviously, having, uh, knowing that how well I do know you, that does not come as a surprise at all, <laughs> at all. It's funny though, Len, because I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the, the virus is, you know, I mean, it's really quite unbelievable times that we're witnessing and, and living through at the minute. But, um, you know, I see a lot of highly committed people, you know, delivering amazing care under normal circumstances. And at the minute, it just feels like actually we're doing more of the same of what we always strive to do. It's just the goalposts have changed for us as a service and as an NHS, you know, we're having to deal with um, very poorly patients on mass and very contagious patients on mass. But actually the principles of what we're doing are the same as what happens every single day so it's really it's really quite amazing to be part of it actually it's it's quite um overwhelming yeah well, i think uh, i probably speak for everyone when i say that you are you guys are absolutely incredible and um don't get enough credit at all yeah. certainly don't get enough pay um, <laughs> yeah absolutely brilliant, brilliant i think it will Anything be interesting won't it to see the longer term sort of impact of all of this i think i think generally you know the nhs was well respected i think anyway by the general public i think most people could see the benefits even if there were some drawbacks every now and then but if you if you think about your experience len and you know the care that you've had from the mnd team you know it's absolutely fantastic and yeah. um but i think it's it's probably made us really stop and think about valuing it a little bit more than we perhaps did. And I'm hoping that now, yeah. you know, the politicians will see it through a different eye as well, really. But we shall see. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Well, we had the sort of number one guy in the country coming out and um, loading praise on those two nurses in particular. So um, yeah. hopefully that will be like the first step and you guys get what you actually deserve. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he's better though, I have to say. I'm glad he's home again. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So Amy, you've gone back to the NHS to help out during the COVID-19 crisis and so have 
a couple of your colleagues who have also had upland in the past. Do you want to talk to us about them? Yeah, so um, so Len is looked after um, under a couple of different teams at Preston, aren't you? You've got your main motor neuron disease team, um, but also the respiratory team, the long-term ventilation team keep a very beady eye on you, don't they, Len? Oh, they do. And um, you've just done a big... You've just done a big article in our professional magazine, um, our Chartered Society of Physio magazine, about the care that he's getting under the the respiratory team. Um, And these guys are the ones who are are really at the forefront of the COVID-19 and having to get the hospital ready for this influx of patients and all the machines ready and help. The work that they're doing at the minute is just unbelievable in terms of preparing the rest of the hospital to be able to look after patients um you know they're they're really carrying a lot of responsibility but in the background they're still there for for anybody um you know like um in len's situation who's at home trying to keep themselves well so um some really remarkable people aren't there len in that team come on there's two of those it's rachel isn't there yeah so did you know rachel's gone down to london she's She's working really hard, heading up all of the um, allied healthcare professionals at the Nightingale Hospital. So, wow, she's she's gone down there. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, very, very funny as well. Yes. Yeah. Complete character. But in her um, in her absence, Liam's working tremendously hard along with Sam and Charlene, the the nurses, um, to really prepare the hospital and make sure everybody who needs that care is going to get it. So amazing. Yeah, you guys are really, really pulling out all the stops for us. So um, again, to echo what um, Rob said, really. Fantastic work. We owe you a lot. Keep it up. <laughs> Try not to get too disheartened. I saw um, a message this morning on uh, Twitter one of the NHS nurses sort of, um, for our house. She was absolutely just worn out weary and felt battered so um it's me say like uh I'd say keep it going but um yeah you are doing everything that you can and uh, everything that we need so yeah well done thank you thank you so there's a big campaign um Len, isn't there from the mnd association to try and make sure that that you guys get um properly protected am i right yeah yeah yes um, I think we are now sort of classed as vulnerable anyway, so um, it's just, I mean, everyone has their own sort of interests at heart, and we're all sort of vulnerable in, in, our, in our own way, really. So, um, obviously, if I were to get it, there's more risk of me sort of dying than if, um, say, Nadine, my wife, was to get it. So, yeah. from that point of view, yeah, it's quite vital that we are classed as vulnerable, but, um, Fingers crossed, if I could cross my fingers, obviously. Um, uh, I hope we don't get it clearly. Yeah. When when you guys first met in, you know, all the way back then, what was it like then having, having Amy as your physiotherapist? A nightmare. She was terrible. <laughs> she was so horrible. Uh, no, um, to be honest, first, goodness knows how many sessions i think she just sort of heard me cry more than anything else she um i put this in my book 
if she wasn't so sick of twenty the rules showed the prescriptions she gave me what I needed at that time and um, a lot of that was kind of focusing on trying to keep my head together or get my head together and um, they just showed her to cry on and um, I will certainly never ever forget the work that she did for me. She was amazing. Um, and then eventually sort of got down to the physio stuff but <laughs> primarily earlier on it was what I needed really, and she was great, she was. So what, I'm blushing now. It's <laughs> <laughs> the truth, and sometimes people don't like the truth, and, but yeah, I always tell the truth. Definitely. It was quite um, a non-traditional um, sort of, I guess, patient-therapist relationship though, wasn't it? In the sense of, um, you know, I think if I tried to describe to some of my colleagues or outside of the, you know, outside of my profession, what my job entailed, um, you know, the stereotypical view of what a physio does is very obviously very hands-on, very exercise-based. People normally sort of have comments to make about their knee pain or their back pain when they meet me and they learn that I'm a physiotherapist. And actually, um, a lot of what we did was talking therapy really wasn't it and yeah. just listening oh, yeah. and and plowing through some of those initial emotional roller coaster that you were on and trying to make some oh, sense goodness, of it all yeah. um, I, I i've said before like what you had to go through because i am like the world's ugliest crier and she saw me <laughs> cry so many times oh. wow yeah Oh, I don't, I don't envy that. Yeah. So, it was a really rewarding part of the job though, Len, and, and you may or may not be, be surprised. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of patients initially when they first came through, that was the kind of, that, those were the kind of sessions that we would have. There's, you know, uh, there was always a box of, of tissues to hand whoever it was who was coming through the door, really. So it was a really privileged position to be in and a very tough job to leave, actually, as a result of that. Um, you know, because I felt, you know, we, uh, you know, I was in a position to really help people and support people, but not just about their physio needs. And um, that's, again, quite a unique little corner of the NHS that, you know, it doesn't really happen very often like that, does it? So. No. Yeah. I mean, weirdly, there were good times. Weirdly. I think about how messed up I was, but looking back, yeah, they were really good times, and um, obviously we've remained uh, friends as well. So yeah, 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 definitely. Way. So what what was one of the darkest moments you can remember sharing um, with Amy, Len? Um, I think looking back, probably the thought that um, I'm going to sort of die a really horrible, painful death, and that I'm never really going to. Um, feel sort of any level of acceptance and um, you know she sort of tried to hammer that home that I would at some point and that might not necessarily have an awful painful death but also I remember um, she probably didn't even know she sort of told me once about a teacher I think who had had MND for 10 years um, at that point my sort of eyes just lit up because I'm thinking oh I've begun in six months I mean, she mentioned sort of 10 years and then started talking about um, ways that we could sort of make sure that I stay at work. 
it's rare. So every day that's been done, you know, she sort of gave me the um, sort of positive that I could still work for a period of time and that I might actually survive more than just six or 12 months. You were always very frank, though, like I have to say about death and dying. I remember some really, really vivid conversations where you you would you would ask questions about it and what 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 does my future look like but you would also tell me that you weren't scared about it either that you know yeah correct me if i'm wrong but um i remember I, that i've being, always said that yeah yeah and that's quite that was for me quite a unique conversation to be having especially so early in your diagnosis because you were they found this relatively early in you didn't they you know you were still exercising to a, a high degree yeah. and functioning really well when I met you hence why actually we had the time and opportunity to talk a lot because physically you were doing really well um yeah. so but I remember that very distinctly about you that you would tell me that you weren't scared of death and dying and that is you know was really something quite remarkable yeah, I mean, I, I speak to my brother, um, he's a year older than me, and he sort of re recollects how we had this conversation when I was about 10, which is quite early, I think, to uh, discuss death and dying. And even then, it was something that I was aware of and, and realised that we all did it, we'd all do it, and that um, it's just part of the process, really. So no, I wasn't scared of it, but I didn't particularly want to... Um, have a long, sort of painful death, yeah. really, but death, death on its own, uh, um, holds no fears for me whatsoever. Mm. Amy, you've just spoke about some of the conversations that you had with Len. Um, do you find that patients can talk to you better than they can with their loved ones? I just think it's a different, it's a very, uh, I mean, everybody's going to be unique within that. Um, so, you know, you can can't say across the board that people find it easier or, or or not with their loved ones but I think it's a different conversation and um, it's a, a conversation that can happen behind closed doors hopefully the patients know that it's a completely non-judgmental conversation as well um, but also I think what we found as a team not just me but as a team is that people would really value that time talking to us because we'd seen it so much before um, I think most people when they're diagnosed with motor neuron disease have really no experience of it and no knowledge of it. It's not something that's in the everyday press like cancer or, you know, asthma or heart disease. You know, those things we understand a lot more about, don't we, as a, as a general population. So when patients were first diagnosed, you know, they really very quickly started to trust us because as a team we had an awful lot and still do the guys who are working there still do have an awful lot of experience with mnd and i think that in itself do you agree len just opens up conversations that you wouldn't normally have um, I, I i i don't necessarily agree because okay. i never <laughs> at one point thought that you should be as though i was same as anybody else it was though I was a complete individual, so I never thought that the conversation we had, you would have had with anyone else. Yeah. I never thought that I was just another number having a conversation about MND at all. I was like, obviously I knew about the knowledge they had, but you never once tried to um, 
make out that this would happen because you see it before you were quite mm. sort of made it quite obvious that everyone was an individual and um, yeah. you made me feel like that as well so um I never got that feeling that you'd had this conversation like a million times it was though you knew what you're talking about or you were aware that things differed from person to person yeah that, yeah, that makes that, sense. That was the luxury of the time that, that we had and that you had with Wendy, your nurse as well, that the appointments were always really long. I mean, we never really used to meet for less than an hour at a time, oh, did no. we? And if you think about that in the grand scheme of a hospital appointment, it's unheard of yeah. really, to have an hour with anybody. Um, so you can get through a lot and, and the conversations are allowed to go that bit deeper because you've got that time. And also we used... To, always try and meet people in really quiet spaces as well away from the hustle and bustle so that if they do end up upset or they want to ask difficult questions that actually it's a safe place to do that so, yeah 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 it felt like that as well yeah but we did have it wasn't all doom and gloom it wasn't all no yeah we used to talk about a lot of normal stuff didn't we and it's always interesting getting to know people's backgrounds and we talked about obviously you at school an awful lot in terms of what we could do and worked in that um with the occupational therapist didn't we on all sorts of gadgetry yeah. you could hold a pen for yeah. as long as possible to mark your books and we be even, able to do your teaching yeah, we even worked on gadgets to play golf do you remember oh yeah 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 so yeah, that we so could uh, you could keep your grip on your on your club yeah, yeah. So it wasn't all doom yeah, and gloom. You did have some fun, fun times together, and you know, you know, made some some memories. And I had no idea that um, physiotherapy involved so much emotional, kind of like work. I had no, I had no idea. Um, so Amy, to you be were... honest, neither did I. Neither did I, Charlie, when I trained. <laughs> it's just something that's come out. <laughs> I think we prepare the students a little bit better these days for these kind of things. But 20 years ago, which is a long time ago when I trained, it was very, very much you, you learned your anatomy and physiology and it was very kind of much more textbook. And um, yeah, what I came to realise, particularly doing that motor neuron disease job, is that I probably, it was at least 50% of it was about talking therapy, definitely. And um, you were, you've been really keen as well for Len to do a TV documentary. Um, why do you both feel that was important? Um, it came about as a bit of an accidental conversation, really, didn't it, Len? You'd come in to help me in January with some teaching of our third year students around... Um, we were doing some teaching around advanced care planning and a little bit of end of life um, that we we needed to touch on. And Len came in and, and spoke very candidly to our students, didn't you, about your experiences. Yeah. Um, and um, we were just chatting afterwards, weren't we? And I am involved with a group of, of other professionals at the university um, in something called Dying Matters, which is a national charity and um, one week a year they do a sort of promotional week in May and so we were working on some project ideas for that and I just asked Len if he would like to be involved and he basically said yeah it's all ready to go I've done my memoirs I've got my um, playlist ready to go 
Um, but I knew it was well beyond my scope in terms of recording it. And so um, then I put some feelers out with the School of Journalism and here we are. It's all about the <laughs> yeah. network. <laughs> yeah, it is, and, and, and I got sort of got home and nailing it. It was actually first suggested to me about um, sort of getting the message out there about MND. And I mean, obviously, Amy said before about how we know about other diseases, but not so much about MND. And they thought that um, getting it out there um, on TV or whatever, so people know it's like day in, day out, the good, the bad, and the ugly about it, really. Um, it was a good idea. So um, again, we had a chat, and like I say, um, here we are. So yeah, again, it's going to be sort of what we do go around to sort of warts and all. Um, you'll see the falls, you'll see so everything that goes on. But um, primarily, the idea is that people become more aware and that um, MND sort of gets the um, exposure that it needs. Len, how how has your health been this week? Just to give us a, a little update. Um, I was going to tweet actually. Um, sort of my legs are sort of spasming. Uh, I was tweeting three times a day um, for about ten seconds. It sort of seize up, um, which can look quite funny, and um, it means sort of it looks like now. I've got some decent dance moves, but I haven't. My legs are going crazy. Um, and my right arm, like I said last week, is now sort of worse than useless. So um, I think these are the things that are just part of the course, really. So I'm not too concerned. Um, as I'm just take whatever comes, is part of the course, as I say, and uh, what we will be. I'm just going to um, continue staying in, try not to see too many people, and then um, see what happens. How is it working? Can I ask a question? Sorry, I've just jumped in there. <laughs> All right, go for it. Um, I was wondering how it's working with Zoe, your PA, in terms of is she coming in as much to support you? No, um, I mean, she's not going out to home at all, obviously. Um, so she'll come in so about nine o'clock. I leave about half one. But in that time, um, I'm sort of putting her and Elizabeth through their paces, doing um, some exercise work in the garden. So we're sort of getting the weights out and skipping ropes, medicine balls, and just doing circuits. So it um, keeps her busy, keeps me busy, and um, then she goes and gets out of home. Right. So whilst the weather's been good, you've been putting your family through their paces, making sure they're all doing your doing exercise. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, obviously, exercise is a big part of my life. Um, I trained as a personal trainer. I had a gym at home, so I've still got some bits uh, and pieces left. So I'm um, utilising that and making sure that obviously, because when we're at home for so long, people are just sitting down, eating, eating, and eating. And um, I don't want an overweight um, PA or an overweight child or daughter or whatever, so I'm going to make sure that it's in shape from my point. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Everyone's got to find their role, Len. Everyone's got to have their role in this. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, going back to uh, sort of dark old days, I never thought that I would be able to do things like this, really. Mm. Um, and sort of carry on as normal. So, um, yeah, fortunately, I've still got a big mouth, so I don't need to um, show them what to do. I can tell them instead. So, um, yeah, it's going really well at the moment, certainly from my point, because I know the stopwatch and the whistle. Amy, coming back to to you, um, have you got any thoughts to help Lynn, you know, to help him rest throughout the rest of this lockdown? Um, well, probably I'd be encouraging him to do the exact opposite of resting, actually, and try and move, just listen, listening about your leg spasms, Lynn, wondering if um, maybe a regular sit to stand might help with that, just to try and get some weight through them. If you're like in the normal sedentary. <laughs> Say that again, Len. Sound Because yeah. <laughs> I bet even for you, um, physically, you're probably doing less now than you were pre-lockdown. Because if you think about all of the trips you were doing to various yeah. places, and each time it's a transfer in and out of the car and a change of position and a change of environment and all of that we know really helps doesn't it with your spasm yeah. um and also it helps to keep you you functioning um so I'm, i'd perhaps worry if you're not having those opportunities at home now so he's not around as much that uh you perhaps carve that in and instead of you being their personal trainer maybe they can uh, elizabeth and nadine and um patrick can help you as well so can I say then, can I say that you said that naked it has to give me a massage? No. And help me with my legs. No, yes, <laughs> that is yeah. not, guys, right. back me up that, here. Did I say that, that word at all? <laughs> no. So naked has to help me massage and help me with my leg movement. Thanks, Amy. You're That's such great. a key. Guys, <laughs> back me up here. I did not say the word massage at all. I think what you'll find, Len, is I said weight bearing, fit to stand, things that involve a bit of activity. <laughs> I'm still here. You massage. That's all I can hear. Yeah. Massage. So you have to. Back, legs, feet, the whole lot. Thanks. I think you're going to have to ask nicely for that one, Len. <laughs> oh, gosh. Never going to happen. You've not had uh, too much red wine recently, have you, Len? I know you've been quite a, quite a fan of that. I'm actually really out. I'm devastated. So um, I've got a kind of... I'm either going to um, go on the uh, website and order crate or sort of slow down. At the moment, I'm favouring ordering a crate. Well, but, um, yeah, I've not got any with it today, though. Although it is only a half three. <laughs> I think, I think it, you've got to be getting someone sent out to get those essentials, Lynn. That red wine's very important. Can Tell I get me through about it? it. <laughs> oh, I will. Oh, I will. Mm-hmm. I'd like to take this opportunity to, to thank Amy for joining us this week and, and talking to us about her experiences with Lynn. And just from all of us, you know, thank you for, for what you're doing in the in, in the NHS. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be, will be grateful for that as well. 
Also, thanks to Lynn and Charlie for joining me again this week. Feel free to message us on Twitter. Our handles are at AshEdwards2000, at CharlieMurray and at LJohnRose. And for more content, please follow at UConnLive and at JournalismUcon on Twitter. Again, please do follow to continue the guidelines we've been given in relation to COVID-19. Stay safe and we'll see you next week for another Lenny John Rose podcast.